Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn our Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Verse 15 goes on to say, For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. And, and verse 16 now is really where, we're going, where I want you to to uh, pay attention, not that you shouldn't have been paying attention up to this point, but uh, verse 16, it says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And the, the thing that's described here, looking at the things that are not seen, the eternal things, is, I mean, I mean really, that ought to be the, the focus of the believer's life. It's so easy to get wrapped up in the temporal things of the world. And, and you know, understand, we live in the world. And there's, to a certain degree, I mean, you have to interact with that world. But the focus of the believer and the goal of the believer ought to be to focus on those spiritual things. Yes, to live in the real world and to live in the, in the physical, practical world, but to live that life with a firm focus on the eternal, spiritual things of God's Word. And you see how verse 16, it says, For which cause we faint not. Uh, to faint is, is to, in the sense that Paul's using it there, would be to give up. He's saying he could continue on in the ministry because if his focus was just on the physical things, you have several passages in Scripture where Paul gives a list of the various things that he personally endured for the sake of the gospel. And, and you know, certainly as you go through the Bible, you can see those, you know, those uh, just great acts of faith and things people endured. Uh, as you read through history, and you see people that have been not just, not just martyred. Uh, sometimes martyrdom is, a, is an easier thing compared to some of the things that they can do to you. And people that have been tortured and all these various things. Uh, I encourage you to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And, and read that history, that record of the simple saints of God and the things that they, they suffered for the testimony of God's Word and for the testimony of Christ often at the hands of people who themselves were claiming to be Christians. Okay? And, and realize while we 
you know, right now today may not face the same kind of persecution that they face, there is still persecution for the saint of God. And just as much as, as for them, the, the same thing that allowed them to go through the kinds of persecution they went through is what allows us to also endure persecution. It, it says that we faint not. We don't give up in the ministry. We don't succumb to that, to that uh, persecution and give up what we ought to be doing. Because even though that outward man might perish, the inward man, that spiritual man, that, that new man that's created in the believer at salvation is renewed day by day. They can't kill the new man. All they can do is kill the old man. The old man uh, says crucified with Christ anyway, right? And, and in fact, what Paul's describing here is to live in such a way that you already consider yourself to be dead. If you're, if you're already dead. I, I was uh, talking one time with a, a man who was uh, a veteran of Vietnam, and he said one thing he learned in combat was die first, then win. Die for, consider yourself to be already dead. If you're all worried about saving your life, you're not going to be effective in the battle because you're going to be hunkered down somewhere, uh, not, not taking the fight to the enemy and just trying to stay out of harm's way. And he said he realized in combat, die first. Real, just consider yourself to be dead already and, and go do what you've got to do. And, you know, that's really what the, auto, the uh, attitude of the believer ought to be. Die first, then, then win. Um, consider yourself to be dead in Christ. Reckon yourself to be dead, and, and not just dead unto sin, but dead unto self, but alive unto God. And when you live your life in that way, that, that you know, your life isn't your own, that you're actually just dead, and the life you have is hid with Christ in God, then you can serve God in the way that you ought. Uh, to, and, and you see how that would cause you not to give up? I mean, if you're already considering yourself to be dead anyways, what is there to give up? You're already dead, right? And, and so you see in these verses, you see not only Paul's personal attitude toward those kinds of things, but you also see this doctrine of being identified with Christ in his death and in his life. As the Apostle Paul describes there that renewing of the inward man, now, that, that inward man being renewed, there are many passages in Scripture, of course, that describe the conflict that takes place between the old man and the new man. You, you can go over, to, um, go over to Ephesians. Look at one of those passages. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, after describing the, the walk of the Gentiles, how they walk in the vanity of their mind and with their understanding darkened, uh, in verse 20, the Apostle Paul says to the believer, But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is, in Jesus. Now, as Paul is writing this, I mean, it's possible that some of the people in his audience may have physically been in the presence of Christ and heard Him and been taught by Him, although that's probably even unlikely here with these Gentiles he's writing to at Ephesus. But what does he mean when he says, if you've heard him and been taught by him? You realize that when you come to the written word of God, you're being taught by the Lord. Right? You hear him. You're taught by him. Uh, you, you, didn't, you didn't have to be in the physical presence of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry to be taught by him. When you come to that written word of God, you're, you're dealing with the Lord himself. And so you hear the Lord and you're taught by the Lord in his word. 
That's where, that's where you're taught of the Lord. And if you've heard Him and you've been taught by Him, Paul's saying that's, that's not what you... You haven't learned to walk like the rest of those Gentiles walk. Rather, he says in verse 22, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, he mentions there the former conversation. And conversation is one of, those, one of those words in Scripture that you find in various verses that is not really a, an easy word to, to... I mean, the Greek word is not an easy word to translate, and even that English word conversation is not an easy word to explain. Um, you know, sometimes you'll see in some verses uh, where the word conversation is used... They'll, some Bibles will have a note and they'll say that it means behavior. Uh, in other verses, they'll have a note and say that it means citizenship. For instance, in Philippians, when it says that our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. There are many Bibles that have a note and say it means citizenship. Okay? It, it really kind of means both of those things. And that's why it's a, sort, of a, sort of a hard word to understand and grasp. Um, I, I liken it to the way, you know, we refer to the American lifestyle. And we have a certain way that we live as Americans that's different from anybody else in the world. Okay, you, you can go, I mean, even, even to go into a very similar country like Canada, and it's a, it's a, very, different, a very different lifestyle and, and culture. Similarities, yes, but, but different. So we have the American lifestyle, right? Now, just because somebody is an American citizen doesn't mean they live the American lifestyle, and somebody could not be an American citizen, and they could, they could live the American lifestyle, right? But uh, that word conversation kind of means both of those things. When, when you talk about the American lifestyle, you are talking about something that would in some way be connected with the nation of America, but you're also talking about a, a way of living. And that's what that word conversation is. It's a, it's a behavior, it's a lifestyle that's based in a, a, a position or a status that you have. And so is it a citizenship when it says our conversation is in heaven? Yes, it is a citizenship. Is it also a behavior? Yes, it is that as well. And here, Paul says, put off that former conversation, that behavior that was rooted in the position you used to have as being dead in trespasses and sins. He says, put that off. Put off that former conversation, um, and, and he relates that with the old man. He says it's corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and rather, he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's that word renewed again. Um, our, our previous passage said that the inward man is renewed day by day. Here it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24 says, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And you see the putting off and the putting on there. You know, those, those words really are, are describing, it'd be the same kind of wording you would use to describe changing your clothes, and that's really what it's describing. It's describing changing what you're, what you're presenting, or, or I mean, it's really more than just an outward type thing, but it's the same way that you would put off uh, a set of dirty clothes and put on something new, that's what it's describing there. Is it possible for the believer in Christ to not do what Paul describes here? Is it possible for the believer in Christ to not put off the old man and still walk around uh, displaying that, you know, that, that old corrupt uh, way of living? It absolutely is, is possible for the believer to do that. But that's not what the believer ought to do if they've heard Christ and if they've learned of Him. And you see what Paul says, put off that old man, just take it off, 
Now, this is not something physically you can do. This is something you do in your mind. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And to view yourself not as walking in that, that old man, but walking now in the new man. And, and that has an influence on your behavior. As he describes there the renewing of the mind, a, a verse that might come to mind for you is in Romans chapter 12. Uh, let's, let's turn over there. How do you renew your mind? To renew would be to make something new again. Right? Well, how do you do that? Romans chapter 12 describes the same kind of thing. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, verse 1, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, the result of renewing your mind is that you're able to to prove, to test, what the will of God is. But but what does it mean to renew your mind? The renewing of the mind is something that takes place as you take in the Word of God. And as you trust in that Word of God, and you take just the, the natural human reasoning and thinking, and put that out of your mind and replace it with sound doctrine from the Word of God. That's what renews the mind. That's the, the, the process that the Scripture is commanding here, that as you do that, as you renew your mind, it transforms you, it changes you into something else. And again, it describes how by doing that, you'll be able to, to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's how you're renewed in the spirit of the mind. That's how you, it's also how you put on the new man, is to view yourself in light of that, that Scripture. But again, there you see that death and life putting off that dead old man and putting on the life that you have in Christ, that, that new man. The new man, by the way, it's said over there in Ephesians that the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. Uh, in, a, in another verse, it, it says that uh, that new man is, is created in the image of him who created him. Remember when God created Adam and Adam was created in God's image and Adam was, was innocent before God? Uh, he had no, you know, no sin, no sin nature, right? And what the new man is, is a, in, a, in a spiritual sense, a restoration of that. When a person believes the gospel, there is something new created in them. You know, you still have this same body. The, your body doesn't change. Your, your physical flesh doesn't change. But there's something new created in you that now can, can respond to the things of God's word. And that's that new man. And that new man, when, when Paul's talking about putting off and putting on the, the new man, you realize that the, the influence that that new man has over your choices and actions is not something that's automatic. It's not as if you get saved and instantly now everything in your life is going to be run by that new man. Uh, there's a, a verse over in Galatians, you don't need to turn there, but um, can be can be a confusing verse because Paul talks about how he was... He was, uh, you know, worried about these Galatian saints. He calls, them, he calls them little children, I think, in the verse. And he says that, that he's worried about them until Christ be formed in you. That's interesting wording. Because when somebody believes the gospel, doesn't Christ come to dwell in them? What does he mean, Christ be formed in them? Is Christ not fully formed in them? But he's talking about, again, about that new man. He's talking about that new man not just being created in them, but having influence over them. You realize that the the new believer in Christ who has not yet had a a, a good dose of this renewing of the mind isn't isn't equipped 
you know, much better than what the unbeliever is to, to obey the things in God's Word. But as, as God's Word comes in, the influence of that new man grows. The, the, that old man is put off, that new man is put on. That mind is renewed, you see. And that's how the person is transformed. Again, um, if, I, if I don't say it enough, I'll say it again. Uh, that's why it's important that you be in the Word of God on a regular basis. All right, One hour a week... Uh, hearing a, a sermon is not enough for you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a constant struggle to identify and replace that just that natural human reasoning with the truth of God's word. Now, let's go back over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so when Paul is describing here, looking at the things which are not seen, well, how do you look at something that you can't see? Uh, these are not things that you can you know, go take a tour and, and view. Um, these things that are, are not seen are the things that you learn, again, from the Word of God. That's where you look at the things which are not seen. That's where you learn the spiritual truths about who you are in Christ, about what, what uh, God has accomplished in you and what God desires from you. That's how you look at the things which are not seen. And that's where you look at those eternal things. Chapter 5, it says in, in verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. Now, he contrasts there the earthly house of this tabernacle. He's talking about the physical body. He's talking about the body as a house that houses your soul and spirit. And there's the earthly house of this tabernacle. But he says, if the earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, the confidence that the believer has is that we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, he likens this body to a tabernacle, which would be a tent, a, you know, a, a portable, temporary dwelling. And he talks about it being dissolved. You know, the, when it comes to focusing on spiritual things rather than physical things, and, and to, you know, having that, that uh, proper, proper attitude and focus, looking at the things which are not seen, probably the most difficulty with regard to that comes, to, com comes with regard to our own physical person. Because, you know, there's a lot of maintenance that has to go into these bodies, right? You've got to feed them, you've got to clean them, you've got to do, you know, do all kinds of things to keep that body working properly. And, and realize those are essential things, even if, you're, even if you're living this life that this describes, and you're considering yourself dead, uh, dead to yourself and alive unto God, you're still going to have to use that physical body to serve God, and you're going to have to give attention to it, right? And, to, and give attention to, to meeting its needs. But... Realize that in the long term, what's going to happen with this body is it's going to be dissolved. And, you know, we, we put so much focus 
on the body. And, and of course, the, the fleshly mind considers, you know, for, for a lot of people today, they consider that their entire being just consists of the body. Uh, there is no spirit, is no soul, uh, all, you know, emotions and, and feelings and thought and all of those things to them are just chemical reactions that take place. There's no reason, reason or meaning to any of it. It's just, we're just a collection of chemicals. And on, on the one hand, you know, that would, call, you know, for, for, for many people, uh, believing that way would just cause a, a complete despair uh, about the meaninglessness of everything. But it also results in just a, just a complete materialism, right, where everything is just about the physical. So if this is all there is, and I'm just a, a collection of, of molecules and, and chemical reactions that are taking place for a short period of time, then I ought to just do, you know, there's no real meaning in anything I do. Uh, might as well just do whatever feels good and whatever makes me happy, right? Uh, there is no eternity. There's none of that to, to worry about, and there's just, just the flesh. But, you know, so, so that view, depending on which way you take it, can either result in just a, just a, complete, um, a complete rejection of, of those physical things as meaningless, or a complete embracing of just the physical material as being all there is. Either way, you could, you could go with that. Uh, you know, when you, when you consider really what the physical body is, and we know more about the makeup of, of the body and just matter in general than even what people would have known in, in that day, but for the believer, the believer who realizes that there are these spiritual things that are eternal, there is a soul, there is a spirit, there are things that are going to outlast the body. When you really consider what the body is, it, it just becomes ridiculous to, to be so worried about the state of our physical bodies. I mean, when you consider that you're essentially just, just a collection of molecules as far as the physical body, uh, these, these molecules, you know, we consider our body to be us, although realize that what makes up your body is changing all the time, right? So your, your body is creating cells, and there's cells being destroyed, and, and uh, that's, you know, that's going on all the time. It kind of, if that focus is just on the flesh, you know, makes you wonder whether, whether you really have any independent identity at all, right? I mean, if you're just this, this collection of, of uh, atoms and molecules and those things. But um, Paul, as Paul describes here, that if this earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, and if we aren't uh, among those that are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord, that is what will happen. This body will be dissolved. People put all kinds of effort into trying to preserve it and, and all of that, but the body will be dissolved, right? Those, those molecules that make up you, that, that you're so concerned about and, and consider to be you, they're just going to go back into the earth, right? But Paul describes there, taking the focus off of that physical house, he says, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, uh, that's the, the hope of the believer, that there is this eternal body equipped to serve God in eternity that, that, as Paul describes it here, is already a present possession. Now, you're not occupying that building, right? You're not occupying it at present. You're still occupying this earthly house of this tabernacle. But Paul describes it as a, as a present possession. He says, we have a building. Not we will have. But we have it right now, a building of God, a house not made with hands, and he says it's eternal in the heavens. In this, in this body, we groan, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. 
right? And he, he describes the, the nakedness there. What he's describing is you realize that, that that new body that is promised to believers, you don't get that immediately when you die, right? Uh, when, you know, if, if, uh, if a believer dies today, your soul and spirit go into the presence of the Lord, as Paul indicates farther in the passage when he says if we're absent from the body, we're present with the Lord. Uh, but you don't receive that new body right away. Your soul and spirit go through a, an intermediate state where they're not clothed. They don't have a, they don't have a body to wear. They're just kind of waiting. You know, you see um, in, in the book of Revelation, it describes the souls of, of some martyred saints there. And, and it's their souls that are waiting under the altar and they're awaiting resurrection. And they're just kind of waiting. They're calling out to God, how, how long until you avenge us? Uh, and so there's this intermediate state that Paul describes as nakedness. It's a nakedness of the soul and spirit where they don't have a body to wear. Uh, he, he says, what we desire, though, is not to be naked, but rather that we would see that day when we don't have to go through that intermediate state and mortality, this mortal body, is just swallowed up of life by that, that eternal building of God. And verse 5, he says, Now he that hath wrought us... For the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now, if you don't read the, the grammar there carefully in verse 5, um, it, you may not get the, the full impact of what he's talking about. Here is he's talking about physical resurrection, receiving a new body. He says, he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God. To, when he says, uh, hath wrought us... Um, to, when you say that God has wrought something, it means he's worked something. Uh, think about uh, probably the, the only way you might hear the word wrought today is, is when somebody talks about wrought iron, right? So a, so a blacksmith can take that iron and he can work it into something and he can work it into a hook or work it into, into you know, so he, he gives it, gives it uh, shape and form and, and those things. And he works it in order to do that. And that's what wrought iron is. It's worked iron. Well, it says that, that he that has worked us, he that has worked us, he that has put his energy and his work into us to create something, he that has wrought us for the self-same thing. The, the, the purpose, that resurrection, that resurrection and that new body in which we'll serve God for eternity is part of the purpose why God put his effort and his energy and his work into us as believers. He wrought us for the self-same thing, for that, for that resurrection. Say, God desired to give you this new body and to, to equip you to serve Him in eternity, and He wrought you, He worked you for that purpose. Um, what a, you know, to, to think that God, uh, being who He is, would put His effort, put His work into us is, is an amazing thing. Uh, that's what it's describing here. He that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing as God, and he's given us the earnest, the down payment on that is the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in the believer. Um, that's, the, that's the earnest, that's the, the uh, assurance, the security, uh, because God's given that spirit. And so what he says is that the believer can always be confident in verse 6. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And so he says, as long as we're at home in the body, as long as we're still in this earthly house of this tabernacle, we are absent from the Lord and we walk by faith, not by sight. You can't see 
the, those spiritual things. You can't see the eternal things. It says they're not seen. And so you have to walk by faith, not by sight. You read about them in God's Word. That's how you look at those unseen things. You read about them in God's Word, and you walk by faith that those things are true. But there's going to come a day when we won't just walk by, by faith anymore. There will come a day when we'll walk by sight. There will come a day when we will no longer be at home in the body. We'll be absent from the body in verse 8, but we'll be present with the Lord. And what a, what a hope that is for the believer. You see, in light of that, how, how we ought to walk and what our attitude ought to be towards the things of this world, the things of this world that are the seen things that are just temporary anyway, and toward this body of ours that is just going to be dissolved. But you see, there's an eternal reality out there. There's, a, there's a, a, you know, this, this hope of resurrection, and there are these spiritual things that are going to last forever. Now, if you have a choice between putting your, your effort and energy into something that's just going to last a little while and, and pass away, or putting your effort and energy into something that's going to last forever, which one is the smart choice? Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.